The word of Christ from the Gospel of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice through your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive it. We pray that you would make us forever changed as a result. We pray all this in the holy name of your Son, Jesus, our King. Amen. Let me begin with kind of the big picture of what we're going to be talking about this morning. This is kind of the bottom line, if you will. The eternal Son of God became completely human and experienced everything that we are to make us completely new and fill us with all that He is. He became like you, so that you could become like Him. He entered life as you live it, so that He could fill you with His very own life. He did not just become like you, He became one of us, a human a real living and breathing human being who ate food, who got hungry, who needed sleep, who got tired, who had to be taught his 
ABCs by his mom. Who had to learn arithmetic with his other schoolmates. He became completely human. That is not to lessen his divinity. He was completely and utterly God. Very God. And he became completely and utterly human. Very man. He is the God-man. He is the unique one. He is what the Apostle Paul calls the man. The one. The perfect one. And that's why for 2,000 years we date our calendars according to his life. He is the hinge point of all human history. He is the focal point of all human history. He is the fulcrum, the hinge upon which all of human history rests and totters. His heart is to transform us, to change us, to make us the same but different. The same in the sense that when you die, you do not become an angel. You become a dead human being. And a dead human being is one whose soul has left the body. But here's the thing. We await the resurrection of the dead because that is not who you will be for all of eternity. Your body, which God created and declared to be good, is essentially a part of who you are. It's not some shell to be thrown away. It is you, but it's not all of you. But Jesus became one of us, took on our flesh, became flesh and blood, became a real, live human being who could die. The mystery of all mysteries is Christmas. And there is, of course, no Christmas without Good Friday and Easter. But here's the thing. There also is no Christmas without Pentecost. Wait a minute, Pastor. Why are you jumping ahead to that weird holiday in the church life? Because Christmas is all about Pentecost. Notice what John, the baptizer, says. I'm baptizing you with water, which is good and which is necessary. In fact, when Jesus says, I need you to baptize me, John the baptizer says, what are you talking about? Me baptize you? You need to baptize me. And Jesus tells him, this is essential. This must happen. Don't resist this. We must fulfill all righteousness. Baptize me. But John said, I baptize you with water for repentance. For a change. 
for a new beginning. But he who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's Pentecost language. Right at the beginning of the gospel. It's amazing that we believers in the modern Western world have missed this. We're not always missed it. And not every one of us misses it, but the vast majority miss this. Jesus came, become one, became one of us to die for us and to raise us, us, us up with Him in order to get His Spirit into the temple of our hearts. He died and rose again for Pentecost to happen. For the life of God to fill up your life and mine. He died to give the life of God for the life of the world. He wants us to be the same, to be us, to be truly us, which is to say to be also different. He wants to change us. Now, who was John? Yes, he was a relative of Jesus. We often call him his cousin. We're not sure the specific family relations, but we know he was a close relative of Jesus. We know that he was a little bit older than Jesus, barely older, just a few months older, probably only six months older. But he was the long-awaited prophet. The prophets had foretold that there was one who was coming who would be a forerunner of the Messiah, a messenger before the capital M messenger. There was one coming who was going to be in the likeness and the spirit of Elijah. He would remind God's people, we've seen this before. Wow! And it's interesting, the details that are given to us in the gospel records about John. He wore camel hair. Now, as a kid, I had a little camel hair blazer that I, I, I dressed up when I went to church quite a bit. I had a little camel hair blazer and I always thought I looked pretty sharp and it was nice. It was, it was really nice. I think it was Evan Pacone back when Evan Pacone was a thing, you know, when that mattered. I had a really nice camel hair. Look, John the Baptist's camel hair was not what we know of as camel hair. The poor, the desert dwellers, the nomadics, those were the types of people that wore camel hair back in the biblical times. He wore a leather belt about his waist. It, it is interesting that if you go back to 2 Kings, the very beginning of it, you read that's precisely the attire that Elijah the prophet wore. Not only did he sound like Elijah the prophet, he also looked an awful lot like Elijah the prophet. This was the one for whom Israel had waited to come before the one for whom Israel had waited, the one for whom all of human history had waited. This was him, the forerunner the preparer for the Lord Himself. And He 
identified himself with the poor, with the nomadic, the poor and the pilgrims, the ones who just don't fit in. And he was doing wild things. Living out in the wilderness, going, it seems, daily out to the Jordan River, preaching the coming kingdom of God, which was right at the door. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven is breaking in right now. And calling people to repentance. Come and be baptized. Come and get into the waters and wash your sins away and rise up to a new being, to a new state of being. Become a new person. Now it's interesting because you don't have like the preaching of baptism in the Old Testament. When it shows up in the New Testament, it seems kind of out of place. What's going on here? Where did they get that? Now, in the Old Testament, there were ceremonial washings that were similar to or akin to baptism. But when a non-Israelite wanted to become a covenantal Hebrew... Not only would he be circumcised if he was a man, but he would also be baptized because he was leaving an old life and entering into a new one. He was walking away from an old and contaminated life and he was being cleansed to become a new creature. And so, John expects that change to be real. And for it to be real, he expects it to be evident. Here come the powerful. Those with political power and religious power. Those with means. And what does he say to them? You brood of vipers. John was not trying to build up a fan base. I mean, he was building up a bit of a fan base, but it was all of the riffraff of society. The people who don't pull for the right team. The people who are the underdogs and pull for the underdogs. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Don't think you're going to get in easily. These folks aren't getting in easily either. This is a new beginning for you. To enter into the waters of baptism is to become different. The same person that enters into the waters is the same person who comes out, but different, changed. Radically so. And so he urges them, you'd better bear the fruits of repentance. Your life had better evidence the change. Your life 
the same life, the same you had better be different, had better be transformed. So much so that your words are different and your deeds are different. So much so that the whole trajectory of your life is different. Literally, repentance is a change of mind, which is kind of perplexing. What is the mind in the New Testament? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What does it mean to change one's mind? Is the mind simply the physical brain? Is it just the material gray matter within our skulls? No. The mind is how we see and how we perceive, how we understand and how we interpret, how we think of and how we relate to the world. It is the totality of our inner lives. Not just the physicality of the brain. It is who you are inside. Which is not to separate it from who you are outside. But who you are outside is shaped and formed and filled up with who you are on the inside. That's why Jesus would teach out of the abundance of the heart. Now, he's talking as a Hebrew there because heart in the Old Testament is akin to the mind in the New Testament. It is the core of your being. It's out of the abundance of the heart. What is filling up your heart that the mouth speaks? It's not what you put into your body that contaminates you. It's what comes out of your heart that contaminates you. The, the prophet John, the forerunner of Jesus, the preparer of the way of the Lord, he's calling the Pharisees and the Sadducees and any who come into the waters of repentance to bear the fruit of repentance. to in the same lives that they'll be living the following day and the following week and the following year for that very life to be radically changed, to be different. Repentance involves confession. It it literally is a, a laying down of our arms, a surrender. I'm done, I'm through. An acknowledgement that we've been enemies of God, an acknowledgement that no matter how good and cleaned up our lives have appeared, that deep down within us there's this rebellion that wants its way. And it involves a profound sense of regret, remorse, brokenness. I don't know about you, but I've met a lot of people who tell me point blank, and they they call themselves Christians. And if you call yourself a Christian, I want you to think about what you say and how you say it and what the implications are. I've had 
Self-professed believers tell me I regret nothing in life. And I'm, what? Nothing? I mean, I don't know all of your dirty secrets, but I know some of them enough to, to know there ought to be a little bit of regret, a little bit of shame. But I regret nothing in life. Nothing at all. Because all that brought me to where I am today. And I wouldn't have all this. I wouldn't have this child. I wouldn't have this spouse. I wouldn't have this career, this home. Repentance demands regret. That's why every time we receive the Lord's Supper, we confess our sins together and we say, Lord, there are, th there are things we have done we ought not to have done. And there are things we ought to have done even that we've left undone. And we're guilty for both. The things we do we ought not do and the things we ought do that we neglect doing. I'm not a proponent of shame culture or anything like that, but I can tell you this. There are an awful lot of people all throughout in all the quarters of America that ought to be a little bit more ashamed of some of the things they do, some of the ways they use people, some of the ways they raise their fists to the God of heaven and earth. Repentance. As a change of mind, it involves necessarily a change of the direction of life. A dramatic change of our direction in life. A dramatic change of our actions and our reactions. There are too many, too many Christians who say they have experienced the change of God who simply are not living out that change. Whose lives aren't bearing the fruit of repentance. And it's precisely to make us different that Jesus became one of us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And He Himself identifies with the lowly, with the needy, with the broken, with the sinful. And so it's not for forgiveness of His sins that He enters into the waters of baptism, that He demands that John the baptizer pour water over him and put him into the waters of baptism. But it is to fulfill righteousness. It is to identify with us. To enter into our need. To enter into our brokenness. 
to be fully God with us. And in the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, and the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven on earth, the eternal and living God has come among His people in a different way. This is the same God who was with His people in the Old Testament as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. This is the same God who walked through the carcasses of covenantal cutting as Abraham slept. The eternal and living God has come among His people in a different way. A way in which He as King of the cosmos will rule in them, that is, us, and reign through them, that is, us. He wants to rule in your life, so much so that He reigns through your life. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So much so that He is God in us. Because again, Christmas is about Pentecost. He who came, came to send another comforter who would be with us and in us. He calls us to a new life and He makes a way for that new life to take up root in our lives. He becomes every bit of who we are. Everything that is essential to what it means to be a human being, Jesus became. That's not to say He experienced every single thing that is possible to experience as a person. Jesus didn't know what it was to have a Facebook account and deal with Twitter trolls or anything like that. But that's not essential to humanity. That's just a feature. Oftentimes a really terrible feature. But, but He became every bit of who we are essentially in order to fill us with every bit of who His character is essentially. So that, not so that we could escape this world, not so that we could flee and hide away, but precisely so that we can live in this world, live in this life as His different people, to be light in the darkness, to be salt among the decay. He wants to transform you. He wants to transform me. He redeems us by coming Himself. <laughs> 
by coming really, by coming physically, He comes redemptively to radically change humanity, to radically change us, to radically change your humanity, to radically change you and me. Our lives now. He calls to be different, and by His Spirit, He makes different. Not some other life that we'll get some other day, but this life, here and now. In this world, here and now. He comes to make different. Father, we pray that you would help us to surrender ourselves to your transforming spirit. To your spirit who makes new, to your spirit who makes holy. To your spirit who makes us different. Not so that we can escape the world, not so that we can be better than, but so that we can be different for the sake of the world in this life. And so Lord, whatever in us resists that, we pray that you would break it. Whatever in us shrugs at that or dismisses that or explains away our brokenness. Lord, we pray that you would heal that which is broken, but that you would break that which is resistant. Lord, you always come to redeem. Emmanuel, such a terrifying but terrific thought. God with us. Holy Spirit, would you brood over our lives? Would you prepare us for the fullness of what you're able to do in our lives by the grace of Jesus? Would you make us like him completely? Would you change this life that we live this world in which we live, would you make it different? In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.